We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. I'd like to ask you to walk with me for a few verses of scripture, and then I think these young people are going to go do something, have fun. Uh, I wasn't invited, so, uh, but I hope, <laughs> hope you have a great time. And again, thank you. Thank you, family members, for being here and letting them be a part of our service here tonight. One of the, one of the best ones we've ever had. In Mark chapter 9, as Jared read to you out of the scripture, Jesus is taking uh, Peter, James, and John, the three. I'm going to call them the three for a few moments. When I refer to them, uh, he took them up on a mountain for a special, special event. Uh, on June the 6th, 1944, one of the greatest invasions in military history took place with Allied land, air, and sea operations against the Normandy coast of France on D-Day. Many of you probably had family members that uh, perished in uh, service for our country. We have people right now standing in harm's way for you and me to have the ability and the peace to be able to read this Bible. And so we honor them. We honor those families that have memories of people that landed on that ship, that, uh, on that beach that day, in a ship, uh, on a plane, and all of the different ways that, that they, they landed there to stop, uh, stop the bad guys. And so very, very grateful. Uh, I didn't realize uh, 38 convoys of 745 ship, uh, 4,066 landing craft carrying 185,000 men, 20,000 vehicles, 347 minesweepers, 18,000 paratroopers from 1,087 aircraft, 42 available divisions had air support from 13,175 aircraft within a month, 1,100,000 troops, 200,000 vehicles, and 750,000 tons of uh, supplies were landed there. We remember those that landed on uh, the beach in Normandy in 1944. When you read about that, you hear the statement, one of the greatest military land invasions there ever has been. But I tell you, we're going to talk for a few moments in this passage about what I believe is the greatest land invasion that's ever taken place. And that's when our Lord and Savior Jesus came from heaven, the glories with his Father, and came to be a man here on this earth. And he invaded this world on behalf of you and me. The greatest search and rescue mission that has ever taken place started 2,000 years ago, and he's still on that mission. He is searching those that are lost and saving them and pulling them out of a domain of darkness and saving people's lives. And you and I here tonight that know Jesus and love him, uh, we are part of that mission. Jesus in the gospel said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save them that were lost. Tonight, I want to read with you just a few verses as uh, Jared read to you, but beginning in Mark chapter 9, and I'll go very quickly. I want you to see with me, if, if you would, a little bit about this word, transfigured. Now, if you look up transfigured as in the definition of, in the dictionary, you're going to hear these words. To give a new and typically exalted or spiritual experience to. There's going to be a new thing. There's going to be an altered state. Uh, my wife and I were shopping in one of the malls one time, and I think our daughter was, and we went into a, we went into a uh, store called Altered State. And, and we came to find out that that are Christian people that have that store, and they have clothing for mainly young ladies, but uh, they are, they're talking about the altered state that Christ makes in our life. 
In verse 1, it said, Jesus was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there's some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Can you imagine what it would have been like to walk on the earth when Jesus walked on the earth? Uh, there in the land of Israel, occupied by a Roman foreign government. Uh, God didn't send his son into the most peaceful state in the uh, time in history that was the easiest. In fact, it was a very, very difficult time. But did these people, many of them that were alive, Jesus was talking about, did they see his death, burial, resurrection, his ascension? Did they see the start of the church, the giving of the Holy Spirit? That's part of the kingdom of God. And we know the kingdom of God is not completed yet. He's going to uh, fulfill that completely as time goes on. Six days later, the scripture says, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. You read that often. That's the three. Peter and James and John. They got to see more things than others did. Even the other apostles. They got to be in the room with the little girl's mom and dad when Jesus raised that little girl from the dead and uh, told her to arise. They got to witness that. Peter, James, and John were leaders among the apostles. And these three... Jesus had his one, the Father. He had his three, Peter, James, and John. He had his 12, the disciples. He had the 70 that he sent out. He had the 120 at Pentecost. And he had the uttermost parts of the world in the church today. But these are his three. Jesus, six days after he had told them about some going to see the kingdom of God, took him, Peter, James, and John, and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. Uh, Jesus had often gone to a mountaintop. He went up there to pray. He went up there to rest. Can you imagine the schedule? He didn't have a, a daily planner because it would have been completely full. The crowds followed Jesus and they pressed on him. And oftentimes his disciples would say, Master, you got to stop to eat. You haven't even had time to eat. So Jesus would go often to a mountaintop, get alone. He would get alone with the Father. And he would pray. But this day, the mountaintop uh, experience that we read about is a little different. It's going to be for Peter, James, and John and for them to share with the rest of the people. Something God wanted them to know. Many uh, commentators believe that this also is a preview. Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John up on a high mountain and showed them heavenly things. One of these days, he's coming back for his church. Do you believe that? And he's going to take us, his church, away from this place to a high place to be with him. And he is going to show us heavenly things. And I can't wait for that day. When I was in my 20s, somebody would say, Jesus, come back. And I would think, oh, maybe after a little while. Uh, in my 30s, I would think, uh, Jesus, come back. Well, I hope he does, you know, in a few decades. My 40s and 50s, I'm saying, oh, Jesus, won't you come pretty soon? And now I'm with the Apostle John at the end of the Bible. Come, Lord Jesus. Let it be tonight, please. The Bible says as he took them up to that high place, they saw something that no one had ever seen on this earth before. It says, and he was transfigured before them. He was altered, his, his state, his being. Now, it's not a hologram. We have technology today that puts things up on the screen that could be behind me right now. It could be, there was a, a church not long ago, someone pulled up, and the pastor's not even there. He's just a hologram. 
How many of you would want to go to that church? Yeah, my, no, I don't think so. But his being was altered. And what I really believe took place was John, Peter, and James got to see Jesus and what he looked like in heaven. The pre-incarnate Christ the Christ of glory of the Old Testament. In John chapter 17, when Jesus prayed the high priestly prayer, he said, Father, would you let them see the glory that I had with you before the world began? I believe that they got to see a part of what Christ looked like in his heavenly body in glory before he came to this earth. He was transfigured before them. The scripture's written perfectly, and that tells us it was an event that was for Peter, James, and John. It's not going to be for Jesus, and it's not necessarily for the others that show up. It's for these apostles, and in turn, it's for you and me also. He was transfigured before them. He could have been transfigured other times up on the mountain by himself. There was a need that these apostles had, and God the Father was going to meet that need this day. He was transfigured before them and his garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no launderer on earth can whiten them. I love that. The scripture says he was in the brightest clothes that there ever could be. I mean, tide cannot wash your clothes this white. I remember when I was single and, and you know all of us single men know how to do laundry really well. I was uh, the typical one that somehow all of my shirts and everything turned pink and I had to wear those because I couldn't afford to go buy some more at the store. I just wanted to let everybody know that I was, uh, you know, securing my manhood and, and I just had a lot of pink clothes for a while. And then I found out about bleach. And bleach was so cool. When you put your socks in there, we always wore white socks back when I was young. And so when you put them in there, you just pour a little bleach in there and they would get white. Well, I thought if a little bleach, bleach did well, I'd just pour some more bleach in there. And I had the whitest socks you have ever seen. But in about three weeks, every time I'd put them on my, uh, on, on my feet, they would just tear because bleach had eaten through the fibers. I didn't know you weren't supposed to just put that much on there. But his clothes were more bright and brilliant than anything somebody had ever seen on earth. Peter, James, and John realized something's happening here that is not normal. I think about the apostle Paul when he was taken up into the third heaven, you remember? He saw things and heard things that he could not repeat, he couldn't tell. Well, I believe that's what heaven's gonna be. The scripture says, eyes never not seen, ear is not heard, and it's not entered in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. I believe the things we love here on the earth that are meant for us to enjoy, heaven is gonna be full of those things but they'll be exponentially better. Have you seen a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset? Well, you haven't seen any sunrise or sunset. You haven't seen any uh, beautiful lake in the water. We haven't seen any sky. We haven't seen anything as beautiful as what it'll be like in heaven. So they're seeing him transfigured, exceedingly white, his garments his clothes. There was an importance in this passage that Peter, James, and John needed to see what Jesus was clothed in. Now, I'm going to chase a rabbit for just a few minutes, go real quickly. Uh, but I, I, want, I want to talk with you for a second about the clothes Jesus wore. Did you know you can teach the gospel 
in the clothes Jesus wore. Uh, how many of you are, are uh, high school in the 1970s? Oh, we had good music, didn't we? Y'all, somebody say amen. We had some good music. Did we have good clothes? No, we did not have good clothes. One of the great things that I'm thankful for is we didn't have VCRs and cell phones, video cameras, because the rest of you, you wouldn't believe what those clothes were like. But the clothes of Jesus tell a story. Walk with me real quick, quickly. Jesus, before the foundation of the world, he's co-creator of the universe. He was with God in heaven, and he had the clothes of glory. He had heavenly clothes. He was a wardrobe. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah saw a vision and he said, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And he's talking about this majestic, beautiful picture of the Lord in heaven. We can't even fathom what Jesus looked like in prehistory, in eternity past with God the Father. Glory clothes. The Old Testament, we have different things, uh, events and different visits by God in the Old Testament, oftentimes called the angel of the Lord. That's a theophany, God appearing in human form. When Christ appeared before he had come to this earth, it's a Christophany. And we have oftentimes that I believe Jesus came and appeared in a human form, in the form of the angel of the Lord, and he was in beautiful clothes. He was in the clothes of the pre-incarnate Christ. And then around Christmas time, we start singing those beautiful songs because Jesus came to the earth and he was clothed in swaddling clothes. You will find a babe wrapped in, uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The one who had the glories of heaven came as a little baby to grow up just like you and I did. And he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's an amazing thought. Have you thought about it lately? The creator of the universe wore diapers. Have you thought about that? But he did. He came humbly as a little baby. Jesus probably had play clothes. You remember growing up, there were five of us in our family. There were certain clothes you could play in. And what was good about the play clothes? You could get them dirty. You could get them muddy. It was okay. You didn't get in trouble. But if you got your good clothes, and if you were a church-going family, if you got your Sunday clothes dirty, what was about to happen? I believe Jesus had play clothes. He had brothers and sisters, and he played just like other children did. The God of the universe who would give his life on Calvary eventually had play clothes. That's how much he loved us. He had common clothes, the clothes of a, of a carpenter's son. Jesus grew up probably working with his dad, Joseph, and learning how to work in stone. Carpentry in Israel is not all wood like we think of it here. Uh, if you've been to, to Israel, you know it is full of stone everywhere. And Jesus had clothes to work in, probably like his daddy. When my boy was real little, he would love to dress like me. And, uh, you know, he would put something in his pocket like I had. And he had the hat like I did. He grew out of that pretty quickly. He doesn't want to dress like me anymore. But Jesus had the clothes of a, of a common man. And yet, as he grew a little bit, it was recognized that Jesus was a teacher. He was a rabbi. And a rabbi in Israel would wear certain clothes. 
in, in Ephesians, we talk about having our loins girded. Well, you know what that really means? They had a long robe, a rabbi's robe, and they had a sash, a belt. And when it says to gird up your loins, that means actually they would reach down and pull that robe up, tuck it in their sash or that belt so they could run quickly. And the scripture's talking to us spiritually about girding up our loins, being ready to run in the gospel, run in faith. Jesus wore the robes of a rabbi. The transfigured clothes that I've just read to you about here, they were wide and gleaming. Revelation chapter one teaches us that he was beautifully white when John saw him at that time. And then in the gospel of John, the 13th chapter, Jesus took off his robe as a rabbi and he put on a towel of a servant. And he bowed down before the feet of his apostles. That was a job only for the lowest slave. No one else in the upper room had offered to wash anyone's feet, but Jesus did. And he knelt down before those apostles and he washed those dirty Israelite feet in the clothes of a servant. That's how much Jesus loves you and me. He humbled himself and became a servant. It wasn't too long after that they arrested Jesus and they began to beat him and the soldiers, Roman soldiers, powerful military men took Jesus' robe off of him and they put a purple robe on him and a reed in his hand and that crown made out of thorns and they, they beat Jesus with their fists and they whipped him and they mocked him. Jesus wore clothes of mocking and shame. He wore that for you and me. They took those off of him and actually the clothes that Jesus had, he had a seamless tunic and they took those things away from him. Jesus had his clothes stolen and they gambled those soldiers at the foot of the cross for the robe of Jesus. Jesus died. They wrapped him in burial cloths and laid him in a tomb. We know what happened. On that Sunday morning, the, the Spirit of God in Christ himself, could, could the grave could not hold him, and he went straight through those burial cloths, and they found those clothes laying there, and the napkin that was around his head folded. Uh, we read about the stone rolled away, by the way. Uh, the angel came and rolled that stone away. That wasn't for Jesus to get out, by the way. That was for us to get in and see that he was no longer there. Jesus appeared to Mary first and then to two on the road to Emmaus and then to other disciples several times and, and he appeared to 500 people and a lot of times they didn't know who he was. He had resurrected clothes on. He didn't have his grave clothes on anymore because he's not a dead Christ. He's a resurrected Christ and he had his resurrected clothes on. And then we talk about, as I mentioned, Revelation chapter one, he had majestic clothes on. John the Apostle's eyes were opened and he was told by God, write what you see, what has been, what is, and what will be to come. And he looked and he saw the beautiful picture of Jesus in that long white robe. And he describes his eyes and he describes the, the beauty of our resurrected, majestic Savior. He's not on a cross anymore. If you look right past me, you don't see a body nailed to that anymore because we serve a risen Savior. 
later on in the book of Revelation, the 19th chapter, Jesus has another robe on and it has blood on it. When I was young in the faith, I thought, well, that was the blood that he shed on Calvary. It's not. Jesus Christ came as a Jewish man, humbly as a little baby the first time, but he's coming back again as the the, the executor of the wrath of Almighty God. He's coming back as a warrior. And in Revelation 19, that robe that Jesus has on has the blood of the enemies on it because Jesus is going to fight sin and defeat evil completely. Then in that same chapter, we see another robe that Jesus has on and it has some words written on it. I love T-shirts. I gave Tommy a T-shirt not long ago that said, uh, Jesus took naps. I want to be like Jesus. I think that was pretty cool. I I feel like that one right now. But this robe that Jesus had on a little while later in Revelation had some words written on it, and they were King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then finally, you know what? He returns to his glory clothes. When those angels fall down before him and the Father and they say, holy, 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 they're looking as a, as a completed, resurrected Savior and he's in glory again. The story of the gospel is in the clothes that Jesus wore. Look with me in verse four. Elijah appeared to them along with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. Imagine that, Elijah and Moses. These were men of the Old Testament, a lawgiver, a prophet, Moses was one that said, there's going to be a prophet like me. I want you to realize he's going to come and everybody needs to listen to that prophet. Elijah was never asked to die. God just took him to heaven. People say, well, why did Moses and Elijah come? And one of the other gospels, Luke chapter nine tells us they talk with Jesus about his death. Why would Moses and Elijah be interested in Jesus' death? All of the people of the Old Testament that had believed God and were faithful, they had not had the blood of Christ cover their sins yet. Jesus had to die for them too. So Moses and Elijah would be looking forward to Calvary. Jesus said of Abraham, he rejoiced to see my day. Those saints of the Old Testament were glad to see Jesus come because finally, Their sins could be forgiven. God passed over their sins in the Old Testament, but Jesus paid for their sins on Calvary. Moses and Elijah are excited about what Jesus is about to do for them. Peter said to Jesus, oh, Peter, we talked about him last week. Peter did something good last week, and you want to cheer for him when he does something good, but most of the time, Peter is sticking not one but both feet in his mouth he's saying things he's impulsive and here he goes again and he says Peter said to Jesus Rabbi it's good for us to be here let us make three tabernacles one for you and one for Moses one for Elijah I'm saying that fast because he probably did for he did not know what to answer for they became terrified he didn't know what to say but he just started saying something Let me build some booths like they did in the Old Testament. Maybe you want to stay here with Moses and Elijah for a little while. Maybe we can have the Feast of the Tabernacles like in the Old Testament. Peter's just thinking, let me do something. I don't know what's going on here. And then it says something great. A cloud formed overshadowing them and a voice came out of the cloud. Now God had appeared and spoken out of clouds before, hadn't he? You remember on Mount Sinai, the smoke was like a cloud. The people said, Moses, you go up and talk to God. 
We, we don't want him to talk to us. He's too mighty. The tabernacle was filled by a cloud. The presence of God would come in there. The children of Israel out of Egypt, they were led by a pillar of a cloud. Do you remember that? And fire by night. They were familiar with clouds before. Elijah was in 1 Kings 18. When it hadn't rained for three and a half years, he tells his servant, go out and look, see if there was a cloud. And he goes out and he doesn't see anything. And he said, go out again and go out again. And finally the servant comes back and he said, there's a little cloud like a man's hand. And Elijah said to Ahab, you better get up, get in your chariot, because there's a sound of abundance of rain. Guys, we've got a lot of things that we need to pray for in our country. But when I see young people like this, and I see them loving Christ and following him and sharing like they did here, I think about our future. The potential that is in these young people to be used so greatly by God, there's a sound of abundance of rain. God's going to do mighty things, I believe, through these young Christians. The cloud overshadowing them. And then, guys, this is what it was for, and I'm almost through. They heard a voice. Now, we worry about people that go around hearing voices, right? Uh, I've always heard it's okay to talk to yourself until you start answering yourself. And that's when you're, you're, you ought to be worried. A lot of people say they hear voices all the time. I want to tell you, there's a voice that we need to hear. Jesus said, everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. How does Jesus talk to a little child's heart when they're little? I don't know. But he did to mine, an eight-year-old boy. How old were you when you first felt God speaking to your heart? And you might have been in a crowd, but it was like you were the only one there. And that's the way that voice is. A, a still small voice that speaks directly to you they heard a voice coming out of the cloud and this is what it said this is my beloved son talking about Jesus and in Matthew we get the middle part of it in whom I am well pleased God is saying I am happy with my son and thirdly listen to him and I believe that was what the Mount of Transfiguration the miracle that they saw was for Peter James and John you need to know this is my son you need to know he's right on schedule he's doing exactly what I've asked him to do I am well pleased in my, in my son Jesus and then thirdly Peter James and John and you need to go tell everyone else listen to him and that's what every church ought to be saying. The church doesn't need to be saying, listen to me, listen to the preacher, listen to the book, listen to the... We ought to be saying the same thing. Listen to him. He is God's son. God's well pleased with him. And we need to listen to him. In verse 8, all at once they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. Peter writes later in 1 Peter about this event. We heard a voice on the mountain and he told you and me we need to pay attention to that voice so my question for you is here tonight have you heard the voice of Christ in your own heart do you know for sure you're saved if you were to die tonight do you know because Jesus has shown you you're as sure for heaven as if you're already there you can know that Jesus has made the way he wore all those different clothes I talked to you about so that you could know that here tonight the greatest land invasion the world's ever known that's when the savior came to earth 
to seek and to save them that were lost. And he's still doing that right as we speak. He's God's son. He is pleasing to the Father. He has done well. And we need to listen to him. I can't believe how great the words of one of the songs the young people sang to us tonight. I I was pretty tickled. That old church choir singing in my soul. I don't know where y'all found that song, but that is... That's what it's all about. That's what was happening on the Mount of Transfiguration. They heard something, a message from God, and they were never the same. And that's what we need to make sure that we hear churches all over the land. So I invite you here tonight. Uh, Have you ever been transfigured? You may say, wait a minute, I wasn't on that mountain with them. But Jesus Christ, everyone that has trusted in him, he has altered their state. Some of you have been watching that show called The Chosen. I haven't watched it yet, but I plan to. But uh, the other day someone told me about one of the greatest uh, clips in one of the episodes. I believe it was probably, I think they were talking about Mary Magdalene. And when they asked her, you know, what had happened to you? She said these words, well, I was one way and now I'm another way. And he was the difference in between. That's what Peter, James, and John heard on the mountain that day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that these words were lived out so many years ago. And Peter and James and John, no doubtedly, they told the multitudes about what happened on the mountain that day. They couldn't describe the beauty of the transfiguration of their Lord and Savior Jesus, how white his clothes were. They couldn't describe what it was like to see Moses and Elijah. How did they know who they were? I believe the same way we'll know one another in heaven. We'll recognize Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Esther and Ruth. We'll recognize them because we'll know even as we are known at that time. And Lord, those of us who are saved here tonight, by your grace, we had our eyes open too. And we've seen something that is heavenly. And it's changed our life. We were one way and now we're another way. And it's him that was the difference in between. Lord, if there's someone here tonight that's not saved, would you call them? Would you let your Holy Spirit work in their life? And maybe they'd let us pray with them tonight so that they could go out of this room changed, altered, transfigured, and that they'd go tell the world, Jesus is God's son, and he is well-pleasing to the Father. We need to listen to him. In Jesus' name.